Hello and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, great things can happen. Hi, I'm Mara Davis, podcaster, broadcaster, hustler, and uh, a lot on my mind right now. And I am Jen Jordan, state senator who has survived redistricting in the state of Georgia. Okay, everybody wants to know what's going on with that because I think we're seeing it from afar. And I think if you are not a Republican, you're looking at this and you're like, what can we do? Well, I think I think this is the long and short of it, right? Which is we know we're a 50-50 state. Let's even give Republicans a couple of points, right? Let's say it's 52-48 in terms of what the electorate is here. And the problem with redistricting and the gerrymandering that the Republicans did with respect to the state Senate maps, the state House maps, and the congressional maps is they basically gave themselves a permanent majority of 60% plus um, for the next decade. And so it's one of those things where, you know, we left that session understanding that the people that are going to be in control in terms of our congressional delegation and also in terms of under the gold dome, the state and, and the state Senate and the state house, it's not going to be reflective of, of the actual electorate of this state. What happens in two years and four years? You even have said this before, because a, a big, a big question that keeps coming up is Lucy McBath and her district, the sixth district, uh, how that's getting a lot redder. And you said, yeah, she's there's there's no way she can she can win it. But you said that maybe this time around. But what about next time? Well, around? that's what's interesting. So the map that was released initially by the state Senate was one that I think that Lucy couldn't have won in 22, but may have been something that we could win in 24 or 26. Right. That was redrawn. And so the 6th district now goes all the way up into Dawsonville in Dawson County. And I, I just don't see that. It's, it's basically a 60% Trump district. Mm-hmm. So we're not even talking, you know, the Biden numbers tend to be a little amplified, I'll say, because there are some Republicans that crossed over because sure. they didn't like Trump. But when we're talking about a 60% positive Trump district, mm-hmm. you're really talking about an incredibly strong Republican district. That's It's impossible, at least for the next, I would say, six years for a Democrat to take. This was interesting. There was an op-ed in the AJC and a quote from about about Lucy McMath and Patricia Murphy wrote it. And she interviewed a guy named G.P. Perkle. Uh, He owns the Dawsonville pool room and he's been in business for 55 years, except for the COVID shutdown. And his quote is, I'm old school. I miss Trump. I don't like Biden. And he doesn't believe the vaccine works. I may die of it tomorrow, but at least I've got my beliefs, end quote. So do you think that someone like him is is pretty much a representation of of all of that area? Yeah, think about I mean, y'all, you got to think about it from this perspective. When we talk about Republicans who strongly support Donald Trump to this day, I mean, these are people who really are reflective of that type of ideology, belief system with respect to Mr. Perkle. And when you have especially a woman of color like Lucy McBath, who who her main, you know, 
gun control is uh, yeah. is common sense you know um gun laws mm-hmm. you know that for a red district like that it, it's just not gonna go over and the republicans knew that though and that's exactly why mm. they drew it that way well from what i've seen on twitter from people like uh greg bluestein uh says that he makes a great cheeseburger <laughs> mr perkle yes well I, I'll be there. Okay. Uh, and then and, and that brings me to the idea of like, okay, so people are already saying like, we're, we're saying like, there's no way like he, I mean, should Democrats just try to even have a conversation with a person like that? I mean, it just, it, it's such a bummer to me that like no one's even willing to have well, a, have can, a chat. You can have conversations. I don't, I'm not, a, you know, having conversations and trying to reach out are different from, kind of a a realistic examination of whether or not a Democrat could win this district. That's right. And it's been specifically drawn to make sure, to to make sure, right, that Lucy McBath cannot win. That that was the whole purpose of this. Mm-hmm. And and I think they've been successful. Okay. So what about Bordeaux? What happens with her now? Well, that's what complicates things a little bit. So they also drew Carolyn Bordeaux, mm-hmm. um, the newest congresswoman from Georgia, out of her district. So she lives more kind of in the the north part of Gwinnett County. I'm not sure exactly where. But so they've basically kind of pushed her district down. So it's just it's just an all Gwinnett County district. Right. Mm-hmm. And encompassing the, the middle part of Gwinnett south to the south part of Gwinnett. And um, I believe it's a majority-minority district now. So Carolyn Bordeaux has now been drawn out of that district, and now it is not a district that is uh, competitive or used to be swingy or was a Republican district. I mean, this is a full-on Democratic, big D, 70% D district that is majority-minority. And so the question is, A, is she... Is she going to run again? And if she does, will she be primaried? All right. I uh, got another question from you from Brian Sells and also Becky LG. She said about school board elections, about how it's shifting school board elections from November to May. People of color in Georgia don't turn out as strongly as the May primaries. What do you think about that? So I think what they're referencing is there was a move by the single Republican state senator representing any part of Gwinnett County. He just filed these bills, and what he did was he wanted to make the Board of Education nonpartisan. He redrew the lines, all this kind of stuff. And right. there was there was another bill dealing with county commission, but we won't go into that. And so the question really is, well, okay, so what is what is the harm in terms of making these positions nonpartisan? For example, in APS, Atlanta Public Schools, they are nonpartisan positions. So you say, okay. Is this really that big of a deal? The problem is, is that in most parts of the state, except for APS, the APS folks run in November, nonpartisan elections are in May. And what we know just from historic place is that people of color, marginalized communities, folks that tend not to be regular voters who tend to be um, in lower socioeconomic kind of strata, uh, they tend not to vote. In May. Right, because it's not the typical time. It's not the typical time. People are working. 
It's all of those things, or maybe they're not super partisan, whatever it is. And so you're, you know, a lot of times people are only being pushed out to the May elections because of primaries, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're somebody who's not a strong partisan, one way or the other, you aren't getting the messaging. And so you can miss the election altogether. And so the whole point is, it, it really is an attempt to maybe make sure that lesser people participate and vote. And that's not okay, right? Yeah, that was a question. I think I think because I put a, a tweet out asking, you know, what people wanted to ask you and everybody really wanted to know the the Bordeaux and the big Macbeth. That was a big question. What can we do? What can we do? I mean, Look, it's a done deal. They're gonna, The governor's going to sign it, this. It's a it's, done deal. But, but I do want to remind folks that, for example, with myself, I represent currently Senate District 6. SD6 was gerrymandered to be a Republican district. Right. And it was for many years, right? But eventually, right, eventually we were able to flip it. And then we've been able to basically flip Cobb County and Gwinnett and the like. So while this is a little bit of a setback, and look, it doesn't feel good because when you've been working as hard as you've been working and trying, especially getting some incredible women elected and kind of seeing particularly like Macbeth or Bordeaux or Michelle Al in the state Senate, and to see them being targeted, you know, that's hard. It can it can be a little bit of a gut punch, but it's just one of those things where we just need to take a, a, a deep breath, understand what we're dealing with, and move forward. And what about Marjorie Taylor Greene representing parts of Cobb County? Oh, my County? goodness. This may be the craziest part. So <laughs> I, I this, mean, is, this is actually... I mean, and I'm not sure if if they did it to mess with Cobb County or to mess with Marjorie Taylor Greene more. I'm not sure. But the whole idea that you have Marjorie Taylor Greene now being one of the congressional members representing Cobb County that has turned blue, right? That's just, it just doesn't make any sense. So it kind of feels like a little bit of a, of a mean joke, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um the problem is, you know, you take out Lucy McBath from representing Cobb and you give them a green. And that that is just not consistent with the population or, or with, you know, how people are voting or, or the policies they that they believe in or want to push. Wow. I mean, there's really going to be a lot to look at in 22. Um, we're going to talk about that with our guests coming up. But first, I want your take on all of this stuff. I want to give a, a nod to uh, conservative talk show host, WDUN, Martha Zoller. Talk it, about the get of the week. <laughs> so she Boom. Had, she had David Perdue on her show and ha- he had some stuff to say. Well, you know, your phone's been blowing up. My phone's been blowing up. Um, people all around you have been getting asked a lot of questions. There's talk about you uh, running for governor. Um, would you like, we asked you about it last time. We're asking you about it again. You want to tell us anything about your consideration on that? Well, Martha, the fact that your phone is blowing up and my phone is blowing up tells us something. Um, we have a divided party in Georgia right now. Forget about me. Uh, it's divided. Um, and they feel like that a lot of people feel like that people in power haven't fought for them and, um, you know, and caved in to a lot of things back in 2020 that didn't have to be done. Um, and so there's a lot of talk about it, a lot of rumor about it. 
Uh, I will say to you something that I think has been said publicly, and that is Bonnie and I have been praying about uh, our state. I'm concerned about the the state of uh, our state. You know, 20 years ago, we, after 135 years, elected the first Republican governor. And since then, we've been, for eight years, we've been the best state in the country to do business. Well, the shine is coming off that apple right now a little bit. And I'm concerned about it. We have a lot of new people coming into Georgia. Um, and we haven't really taken care of, of our people the way that I think we should. And so we ended up we end up being divided right now. And I'm very concerned about that. And I mean, everybody reported about this Purdue stuff. What what do you think's going to happen? Is he really th- throwing it in? I mean, because I see all these people like I saw something about how the Republican Governors Association, they're already like they're standing by camp. Yeah, but it's kind of like the, the DGA with Kathy Hochul versus mm, I James. see I see it's like with a sitting governor you you stick with your person I get it I get you, it you don't pick sides right but so here we are again with this I mean does that mess everything up if if I mean or does that doesn't matter well it, it definitely messes stuff up for Kemp you know I go back and forth because you know some of the things that that Purdue says I'm like oh man he's totally going after Kemp and then he'll come out with another statement that's like, oh, we have to be supportive of the governor. And I'm like, oh, man, he ain't going to do it. <laughs> you know, and, and and to be quite frank, I think the Republicans feel that way, too. It's almost like, is he? Is he? Or isn't he? Like, what is going on here? It's really bizarre to me because I think, like, you're David Purdue. Your life's pretty good. You're in your 70s. You live behind a gate e- on an island. And you get to play golf. You live in a community where everybody loves you. You're the toast of the town. Uh, why would toast you? Toast of the island. Uh, I mean, look, he's very, very popular in a lot of circles. So why, why do you, I mean, I guess so many of these people are just, completely drunk with power, which has been interesting because you've been seeing a lot of Congress people and senators deciding that they're, they're not running for re-election. And here this guy, uh, you know, I think it was um, Jeff Duncan had like the best comeback for him. <laughs> Did you see that? Yeah. You know, something about sour grapes. Are you drinking the sour grapes of the wine of the sour grapes made, you know, wine made from sour grapes, something like that. Well, look, what I'm hearing from Republicans is that, which, and this is hard for me to get my head around to some extent, Yep, is that Purdue really, in some ways, is seeking vindication. I mean, brother got beat by, you know, a young 30s. I mean, he won, he, he got beat by the. Paideia ultimate frisbee champion. I mean, and I love John, right? But <laughs> if you're but if you're David Purdue, you're like, what just happened? <laughs> and, I mean, he, and he basically won the first time. So this is the tweet. This is the let's go Brandon thing. Oh, I hate that. It, it's just and you know, Jason Isbell had a great tweet because he said a progressive named Brandon really needs to run. <laughs> election that'd be so great david Purdue says okay brandon laughing emoji pretty hard when our conservative state leaders caved to stacy abrams gave her everything she wanted and more why didn't you fight for all of us instead of fighting us now you guys are too focused on fighting trump instead of stopping biden and saving georgia and and duncan's response was stop drinking the wine for the people who made from sour grapes winners make policies losers go home so (laughs) 
My my biggest critique of this is that, and I get that a lot of times with social media, it may not be the candidate or, or the politician doing it, but the use of the laughing emoji for a 70 plus year old man. I, that's why I was like, there's it no. It was very, it was very off. There's no <laughs> way he wrote that. No. And, and you've got these young staffers who are going at each other, but I think it was a little bit of a view into what's really happening behind the scenes with Republicans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I all and I think it's really important for politicians with their Twitter accounts if they're not writing it. It should the team. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I I that really annoys me. So just so you know, Senator Jen writes all her tweets. Yes, especially the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> but like that should have said Team Purdue. It yeah, really should yeah. have because that's like, come on, we're on to you, man. It's, you know, it's 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 ridiculous. Well, you know, so the thing is, and this is what's fascinating in terms of the Purdue thing, too, is it's this vindication thing. But then I've been told that he really, he really believes that the election was stolen from him and that Kemp didn't do anything about it. And. And I don't know if this is like your ego kind of playing games with your head because you're like, how in the world could I have lost this but for there being something untoward happened? Right. There's some major stuff going on here in terms of, of Purdue not thinking that Kemp did enough to salvage the election for him. Wow. All right. Well, let's go ahead and talk more about some of that uh, with our next guest, uh, who is really in the know, especially when it comes to politics and Atlanta. We'll get to that now. Our guest today is a reporter, and he's worked before at Atlanta Magazine and Creative Loafing, and he's, he's a great, great journalist. But we we're talking to him today because there is a new newsletter and a new division of Axios in Atlanta. And this was really, really exciting to see this national news organization branch out into some major cities. And it has come to Atlanta. And I subscribe to the Axios newsletter, as I know you do. Jen. I do, too. It's so cool. And plus, the other folks they brought on with Thomas and... um I mean, just really solid, solid journalists in well, Atlanta. And Thomas Wheatley, uh, one of the journalists from Axios, he's here with us. Uh, we actually, we, we ramped you up. We talked about you last week and now you finally, you made it on. Good to see you. Uh, well, it's, it's great to be here. It, it, it really is. And thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So I'm curious about Axios. You know, Axios is such a, you know, a well-known, established brands, a news organization. How did Axios decide to launch an Atlanta division? Well, a few years ago, um, Axios uh, started branching out into um, into cities. You know, it started off in D.C. with kind of very, you know, focused areas, politics, media, business. And uh, they thought that just a natural extension of what they were doing would be to go into cities. Um, so they started um, with, you know, some cities like, uh, you know, Charlotte, um, Nor uh, Northwest Arkansas was, you know, was one of their early cities. Northwest and, Arkansas. Yeah, that's a little, that's, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Um, and, you know, when I, I've been reading the newsletters for a good bit and, it's uh, it's just a really fascinating way to learn about some of these places. I mean, Northwest Arkansas has a lot of really cool stuff happening up there. 
um, that I wouldn't know from really reading just, you know, my daily media kind of, or, or my daily media diet. Um, and so they found a, a lot of success and then they just started branching out, moving up to larger cities. So recently, um, Philly launched, DC launched, um, you've got, uh, you know, Austin, Dallas, Atlanta, um, there are going to be more cities next year. Uh, and it's just going to continue to grow. Denver is, I, I believe Denver is about as far West as, as we go right now. Um, but there will be much, you know, or there will be many more. There's so much to go around. And your partners, Crystal Dixon and Emma Hurt, also great journalists. We want to give them a shout out. Yeah. And Crystal is from AJC. And then Emma came from WABE, correct? Yeah. And they, they are incredible to work with. They're really, they're, really, they're, they're great people. They're, they're super smart, um, super talented, great writers, great sources. And uh, they're, they're really fun to bounce ideas off. So how does this work? You guys, when you write, when you put out that newsletter, because the news in Georgia is, is there is just so much happening here. Did Axios go in knowing, wow, 2022 is going to be absolutely bonkers. We know we need to have some of the best people <laughs> on the ground um, because, look, let's face it, the three of you are super tapped in. We like to see this and not just like some like New York, L.A., D.C. journalists that are just dropped in like by a drone. You know, right. you guys really understand this. So walk us through like the thought process of Axios in Atlanta that way and how you come up with your stories every day. From uh, I think that the folks at Axios saw that not just that Atlanta was having a, uh, a mayoral race and a redistricting, um, and in 2022, a, a governor's race that's going to attract, uh, you know, the attention of the nation, uh, you think? an attorney general's race. <laughs> yes, um, that's the right. most the important <laughs> race. A, no, and, and, and just statewide elections and, and in a, in a state that is, one of the most interesting places in the country. And I think that it's that last part, how Atlanta and Georgia are, uh, well, Atlanta is in Georgia, which is an interesting, you know, one of the, one of the country's most interesting states where you have not just a lot of politics that are happening, but a, a ton of in innovation. You have a ton of uh, new growth. You have a ton of industries popping up. Um, you have hip hop, filmmaking, tech. Um, a lot of really intense conversations about social issues, such as like income inequality. And we're seeing in real time what's happening when a city like Atlanta is trying to retrofit itself from damage that was done during, you know, the days of like the suburban boom when everyone was leaving. Now people are coming back. I mean, there is one of the great things about I'm, I'm from Atlanta. So I've, I've got this I've I've been able to see it evolve as I've gotten older and I've gotten to watch it really closely as a journalist. And it's, it's one of the most fascinating places to, to cover because you have all these issues coming out ahead and it's, it's, it's a big city, but it's also small enough where um, you can be, you can be close to these things and you can see them and you can have, um, and you can get to people like the mayor, you can get to people like the governor, you can really talk to them about 
what's happening. I think you're right. I think if you've never been here or, or if you don't really have an understanding of the state, you have no idea how incredibly diverse it is um, and, and how dynamic it is in terms of the things that are happening on the ground here. And so, yeah, I think Axios absolutely made an incredible choice. And, you know, I'm, I am completely pumped because I'll tell you what, some of the best things that have happened in terms of, of pushing policies or kind of shining the light on things have come out of local journalism. And so to add just another kind of outfit of really talented people that are doing that, that can only mean good things for definitely for the region, but also for the state. Thomas, were you surprised at the mayoral results? I was. I was. Um, I was very surprised because I was going into it um, thinking that we were going to have just based on the polling and the fundraising that that I had seen. Um, I thought that we were going to have a Felicia Moore, Kasim Reed runoff. Um, and the night of the election, I was actually at Kasim Reed's party. Um, I, I, earlier that night I was at Andre Dickens party. Then later on I was at, um, uh, Kasim's party or former Mayor Reed's party, excuse me. And, uh, you know, if we were waiting and waiting for him to come out and, um, to, to address the crowd it finally happened, you know, very late basically saying, you know, we're going to continue counting the votes. But at that point, it seemed that it was, he would have to, he would have to have, you know, a good bump in, in vote count to um, surpass Andre Dickens. And so I was, ex- I was very surprised and it changed, um, excuse me, it changed my uh, kind of outlook moving forward because it was, it, it forced me to rethink the race in terms of what was the messaging going to be going forward? Um, what were the issues that were going to be discussed? Um, and what was the tone going to be? Because you have Felicia Moore and Andre Dickens, who have been colleagues for quite some time now, um, who by all accounts have been very cordial. We haven't seen a lot of mudslinging, you know. We haven't seen a lot of, like, tack ads. There have been some, but they haven't really, like, bubbled up past to, I mean, past kind of social media stuff. Um, it's been, by and large, a very civil race. Um, for the most part, uh, it's, it's, it's almost been a lot about, um, you know, I have, I have these endorsements, you know, this person has these endorsements. Um, and, uh, I, I, but I think it would have been a lot more, uh, it would have been a lot more intense. There would have been a lot more fireworks probably with a former Mayor Reed, um, in the race. Uh, I would absolutely (laughs) agree with that. I mean, I have to tell you, I've been at some losing campaign parties and I'm sure that that was not very fun because it isn't like, especially if you're at a party of a candidate that it's expected to win or to move forward. When that doesn't happen, it is almost doubly hard, like for the supporters to take and, and obviously for the candidate to take. I, I covered the Georgia GOP party on the night when um, when Donald Trump was elected. Oh, and it was, a, it, it was it was a fascinating night um, <laughs> because it kept like the party kept going. And there was this, there was this moment where it, everybody was like, wait, hold on. Like, this is not like, this the, is no joke. That everybody expects. Yeah. This yeah is, no, they're it, like, it, there's it was, no voter was, fraud. This is happening. 
it was very <laughs> fascinating. It was, it was because it was over the, you know, in previous elections, I, I tend to cover the, um, the, the Republican party, um, uh, well, the Republican party party election night party. Right. Um, and it was just a, it was just a different feel, a, uh, you know, a different vibe. It was just, and you can tell that the Republican party in Georgia was definitely evolving. Um, to more of like a kind of a, a, a Trump leaning party. At least, at least that's how that event was, you know? Um, so yeah, I've been, uh, I've been at some of those parties and they are, uh, it's, it's, it's incredible how, how a room can have a vibe. Yeah. You know? I can now only can imagine. I can only imagine <laughs> like, and especially if you are favored or like someone like Kasim who had spent so much money and there was so much hype around Kasim Reed and, you know, I think everybody thought, I think most people thought there would be a runoff, but I don't think he, people thought he would, I was very, very surprised. I'm sure. He, yeah. well, what did you I, say last time, Jen, when Jen and I talked last, it was, <laughs> who was the most surprised? Kasim Reed. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, the old joke, Thomas, in terms of the Sonny Purdue, Roy Barnes race, it was like, who is the most surprised person <laughs> that Sonny Purdue won, you know, in that gubernatorial? And it was like Sonny Purdue. Yeah. yeah. And so it's kind of the same in terms of Kasim and losing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it, it, it was, it was such a, um, it was also a shocker because in the, you know, in the last few days, there were polls going around showing that um, former Mayor Reed had some unfavorable, you know, his, his, his approval, you know, um, was, was not that great. And, Andre Dickens seemed to be gaining ground. Um, and then, you know, there was all of the debate, like the fever debate of like, well, you know, can we trust this poll and da, da, da. So it, it was the biggest question mark. It was weird. You know? It was weird. You know, I got a call, um, a poll call for the Andre Dickens, Felicia, uh, you know, it was an AJC poll actually. And something mm -hmm. that Jen's always told me, she, she's like, if they ever call you, you need to do it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so yeah. I did it. And so, so we'll see what happens with that one. I, I, I also want to know as far as moving forward, like what are like maybe three stories that are super on your radar as far as like going into 2022? What are we looking at? Yeah. What do you think are going to be the top three stories of 2022. <laughs> look the at the look on Tom. You can only see the look on Tom's face. Like. It's like the same look <laughs> on my face. Because that's the way I feel. Well, well I was, um, you know, I, other than I, the AG story, this. Thomas, other yes, than the AG race, right. you can, we won't, we won't put you on the spot. <laughs> that's the, that, that's story number one, two and three. Man. That's right. Um, no, I, I, um, I've been thinking about this a lot and, uh, I, I think that, Without you know, goes without saying, the governor's race is going to be a um, a huge story, and not just the um, the race itself, but also the um, the anticipation to uh, Stacey Abrams potentially announcing that she's going to run. Um, if sorry, there's a oh, cat is, there, is that your cat? Oh, there's <laughs> the cat. Oh my god, that's <laughs> awesome! Oh, there it is. Oh, there's your kitty. Beautiful. Oh, yeah, he's a good dude. When he hears me talking in here, he um he gets really confused because he thinks that like other people are in here. Like, oh buddy, come on. Oh, that's funny. Um, okay, so we've got uh, the the My kids are the same way, so it's okay. 
<laughs> okay, so we've yeah, got, right, because the, there's the like the governor trifecta, right? Because it's like Stacey Abrams potentially announcing, and then is uh, David Perdue. You're right, and I think that you know there's that whole kind of political calculus um, with that. You know, if Purdue announces, does a you know does Abrams definitely jump in um, because whoever she ends up facing will, will have just been through a very bruising primary, um, uh, Republican primary. Uh, there's also the question of, for me, one of the other big questions is uh, Buckhead. Right. Oh, <laughs> which you call bucks it. Did you make that up or was it one of your colleagues? No, I did not. I can't, no, I can't, I can't remember. Um, I, I, I did not make it up. But I'd, I'd seen it, but I can't remember where. Okay. But it's just, so, I mean, it's just so good. I, I can't I can't claim credit for that. Um, and uh, so that's going to be a giant story. And, 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 the, and there are so many stories within that story. You know, it's about the, um, how, is, how, does, how does the Buckhead Cityhood movement in the legislature, does it become a bargaining chip? Does it become a point of leverage for other discussions? Um, and other initiatives that are down there. Uh, you know, will the state at the same time that the city is trying to defend against Buckhead cityhood, will the state try again to, um, to take over the airport? Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's all of these things. And, and not only that, but you're going to have a freshman mayor who, you know, literally just took their hands off the Bible and took the oath. To, um, to walking across to the Capitol and saying, hi, this is me. Please don't do this thing that's going to potentially wreck the city, um, according to reports and people, you know. And so, um, and, so, and so I think that to me, that is like in the near term, that is the most fascinating story that we're going to see just because of all the potential consequences um, and drama that, that could come out of that. Uh, and the third story, I would say kind of bigger picture story in Atlanta. Crime, crime is always going to be an issue. And I don't know how, um, how, how the next mayor addresses that will be, you know, interesting to see. But the tone that the next mayor, in my opinion, brings to um, – brings to city hall and how they're going to address affordable housing, how they're going to address um, inequity, uh, those big kind of complicated, complex problems that require that are, that we don't have a silver bullet for. Um, those stories are ones that really fascinate me Okay, um, in a big, big way. Well, that's a lot. All right. So what have we learned? We've learned that the next year is going to be really hard. <laughs> We've learned <laughs> that Thomas's cat does not like other voices um, invading his space. He loves them. He's just curious about them. Well, congratulations on your success with like I. It's funny because I subscribe to a couple of those newsletters. Um, like I subscribe to Punchbowl and. 
Katie Kirk's got one. There's Rough Draft Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And they're all good. But, uh, and I know a lot of like people are doing like the Substack. And, but this Axios one is it's actually really good. It's really concise. And I feel like I get a little pop culture. And like you guys know, like I tried to send Thomas a story and he like debunked it in a minute. Do you remember what that was? Which one was it? Which one? I know because I love being journalist's little helper. I do. Um, it was about Manuel's Tavern and Buddies. Uh, uh, Buddies is the gas station oh, across man. the street, and there's yeah. this like weird unofficial Buddies Instagram that's always shading Manuel's. It's really funny and it's a true Atlanta story. I mean, I live right over there. So I'm like, oh my God, Buddies is just messing with with manuals. And then I I was like, oh, this is perfect for Axios. And Thomas was like, no, it's all bullshit, right? (laughs) Well, you know, because I was in the same, I I had the same perspective as you Uh, or or the same idea as you when I saw it because I was like, this is great. I love this. And then I, I kind of like asked around and, and I found out that it was like a, it was a satire account. And I think that it's or parody account. And I think that it's been, I think that it, Instagram actually. Oh, they took it, it down. For, uh, oh, I think so, yeah. yeah. It was like, but cause buddies is just like, a, you know, it's a pretty decent gas station convenience store. Cause they actually sell really good wine mm-hmm. there, but there was someone making it like, it was like a, account and it wasn't really buddies it was somebody else see that's just it (laughs) journalism getting to the bottom of it (laughs) well that's and that's i mean and that's what i really um what i really enjoy about um working at axios with with the team that we have is that uh they, they our editors encourage us to um to take risks they encourage us to have fun they encourage us to use our voice there, there's not a lot of, or there isn't, um, well, there aren't any mandates, you know, from up high about like, you must fit into this formula really in terms of coverage. It's, it's more about, um, y'all know your city, you understand your city. So just go out and cover your city for people who care about it. And, um, oh, we love like that. a story like that. Yeah. A story like that for me. I mean, that was like, <laughs> I, I love stories like that. Yeah. You know, there was good. a story a few years back at, at Creative Loafing, where um, a congressman was fighting a community garden uh, across the street from his house. And that, to me, is a great story. Yeah, totally. Like, like, it's just fun. It's just, like, that's something that comes out of, like, you know, Veep or, or like, a TV show. Yeah. The kind of thing where you're like, are we really living in this timeline? Well, it's, it's, it's also very Southern Gothic, right? It is. <laughs> Only in the South. Right. Thomas, right. it's it's right, been right. it's been a delight. Uh let's stay in touch. We'll have you on in twenty two to to talk about those those three top stories. Uh governor bucks it and how the mayor is gonna deal with crime. a lot that is in front of them. And our next attorney general well, of, of course, Georgia. That's right, the, the top three plus, <laughs> right? Feel free to call me anytime. Thomas, thank, <laughs> thank you, you so much. So all you have to do to get the Axios newsletter is just Google Axios Atlanta and it'll take you right there and then you can sign up for it. Yeah, you just put your email in and then it gets delivered to your inbox every morning. 
And then look, it, read it, see if you like it. If you don't, just unsubscribe. But I'm telling you, it, it's a, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good thing. It's really the best one, I think. Yeah, I, definitely. I, I, I have subscribed. Well, Emma Hurt, Crystal Dixon, Thomas Wheatley. You want to talk about kind of pulling together some real talent? I mean, Axios kind of knew what it was doing here. Okay, a couple things uh, I wanted to address with you before we get to Thanksgiving. I feel like as a Democrat or someone who is, you know, left of center, that like the, the, the sky is falling. The polls are bad. Everything is terrible. I mean, it's just like, I feel like with the redistricting that we were talking about earlier, like there's no way a Democrat could win. Like everything's terrible. And then I saw this great quote from Mehdi Hassan, who's, you know, we're all fans of. And his he wrote, every single Republican voted against the American Rescue Plan and direct checks to Americans. Every single Republican just voted against lower drug prices, cheaper health care and universal pre-K. And yet they're still leading in the polls in the midterms. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that feels good. Right. But I get it. Look, I mean, some of the things we're dealing with are outgrowths from the pandemic, supply chain issues, inflation, things that we have absolutely no control over. But is it so easy to everything's Biden's fault? Like, I love the supply chain. Kellyanne Conway talking about, oh, we didn't have a supply chain. I mean, but the problem is, what else are they going to point to? I mean, the only thing that we can do is we can just stand by our policies. We can try to do the right thing. We can try as Democrats not to have like this circular firing squad on each other, you know, in terms of progressive versus not progressive and try to remember at the end of the day, we've been elected to do a job. Right. But that's all we can do. Right. And but I think, you know, and especially as long as we've known each other, I've been doing this podcast. I mean, politics, I mean, on the just like that. It switches in terms of of what people believe and kind of, you know, what the outlook is. Let me tell you something. As soon as Purdue announces against Kemp, if that happens, the story is going to be completely different. Or as soon as whoever is going to be running for governor. It's all it's all like so situational. But that's also what makes it hard because there is so much at stake that you're sitting here thinking, oh, my gosh, there is so much at stake. And I can't even believe we're in this situation. But you just, you can't stop. You just got to keep going. Well, you always give me hope. I mean, because you can't give up. But it is easy to lose sight of things when you were recording on the day of the uh, the Rittenhouse verdict. Uh, which, yeah, yeah, that's tough. Which is tough. And the Ahmaud Aubrey verdict, we don't know what's going to... It'll come out next week, probably. Uh, so I think there are a lot of def- kind of deflating things um you know and elizabeth holmes verdict i think i'm the only one in georgia (laughs) waiting for that one i've been following that one pretty closely but you know you look at the rittenhouse one and it's just like look but i think rittenhouse for a lot of folks in some ways all of this is making people focus on things that that i have thought have been super important for a very long time Mm -hmm. one being judges right Mm -hmm. and so we have all seen how the judge in the Rittenhouse case has conducted himself. You know, that is the kind of thing those judges, they're elected. Those are elected 
judges. Did some of the behavior, some of the things that happened in that, was that, you know, someone who's, you know, I don't know how many trials you've done. Look, I, I, I thought it was bizarre. I thought uh-huh. some of the things the guy did was super bizarre. Not letting the victims be called victims, kind of the nonchalant way that he, he dealt with jury selection or even just his demeanor in the courtroom, it really felt like he was there to deliver an acquittal. Mm -hmm. And that is what happened, right? Mm -hmm. He was going to do what he needed to do. And I get in criminal cases, it's hard, right? Because the state is very powerful and you have to make sure that they can prove their case. But we had the dude on video, right? So this wasn't even a question. And it really felt like the judge had his thumb on the scale. Yeah, it did. Even though there were quite a few lawyers that I saw in the media who were saying he was a good judge, that I've tried cases in front of him and he's pretty fair. And uh, well, and that may have been their experience. But what we were seeing in real time. Right. That was that was some cuckoo luku stuff. It, it was crazy town. But, you know, isn't that part of like, I feel like I mean, look, what 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 really like sealed it for me with everything you mentioned was the his phone ringing with the Lee Greenwood as your ringtone. I mean, that's. Well, we're not going to just say country music, but I mean, that's that's a little bit of a country music anti position. But I, but I get the Lee, Lee Greenwood stuff. But look, I think that his rulings were if I were the judge, I would not have made those rulings. I thought they were inappropriate. I think that they injected prejudice into the case. Yeah. And I think that he, you know, these cases and who the gatekeeper is in terms of the evidence, which is the judge, can determine whether or not a lot of times there is, a, you know, someone's found guilty or if they're acquitted. Mm. And like I said, it felt like this whole exercise was just a march to an acquittal. I just want to say one thing about this situation as it applies to all the news stories about banning books, school boards, families worried about content that kids are learning in school. Kyle Rittenhouse was a kid who was radicalized by his family members and the internet. Well, and that's just it. He's also a kid, right? Yes. And so I'm not exonerating him in any way. I'm just saying that I think people need to get their when we see what's happening as far as this fervor with the school boards, which, you know, we've learned that this is a great way to win elections is it touches people's heartstrings. This is something that connects to them. But at the end of the day, this was a child, a kid who got radicalized and here are the results of it. And it's just sad all around. It's it is a horrific story. Yeah. Right. It is horrific. But the problem is, is that this child has now been turned into some kind of hero yeah. for this this movement. And at the end of the day, he killed two people. He did. And he's going to have to live with that for the rest of his life. Yeah. So, all right. So, and as we wait for Ahmaud Aubrey, I do love the um, defense lawyer saying we don't want any more black pastors here. And then all the black pastors start showing up there in Brunswick. I mean, that's it was pretty wild seeing. There's video of all these clergy from all over, you know. That was just such a... I don't even know why you would say that in, yeah, that I was just without words. I had no words, but 
as you have and I have discussed privately, I've spent a lot of time in Brunswick and that did not surprise me hearing that at all. Um, so there you go. Well, there's a little bit of a humanity piece to this, right? Mm-hmm. Ahmad's mother and father are sitting there, right? They are having to listen to testimony that has got to be just gut-wrenching. To, to hear about the autopsy, to, to see the video again, to relive it. Listen, if what they need is a pastor there praying with them, by God, they should have it. Yeah, well said. Okay, and other news, Thanksgiving is here. So you're not cooking. You're going out. Right. We are. Okay. Uh, we'll talk about that next week because I'm going to Boca. I can't wait to hear the Boca stories. <laughs> it's like the Boca Diaries. <laughs> well, the big joke of my family, which is getting some cheers and some jeers. I'm curious your thoughts on this. We're actually decided to have our entire Thanksgiving catered by Costco. Ooh. <laughs> yes. What a bold decision. Well, my husband's mistress is Kirkland Signature. Oh, yeah. They're in a real love affair, those well, two. Well, I'm going to fight them over. So. <laughs> so there's like a deal where it serves eight to 10 people and it's all packaged and they deliver it to your home. So look it up. We're doing it. I will report back on that. A lot of people I know are very anti. They 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 can't understand this, but you seem to be into it. Dude, the way I look at it is, A, you're helping a local business. But even apart from that, if they can provide kind of the, the base, <laughs> the basics of what you need, then you can go crazy for things like, you know. Watergate salad. That's right. right. That's right. You can do all of the trimmings. That's right. And sorry that you missed Katie Couric and Ina Garten. Oh, so disappointed. It was like, uh, that was such a, a gen you were going to come, but you had to write your speech. Oh. <laughs> and what was in your speech? Frankenstein lines create monsters. Is that it, what it was? If you draw Frankenstein districts, you create monsters. <gasps> You just come up with those like when you're in the shower. I, I was just thinking about Ina the whole time, <laughs> right? You know, it was the best part of that. So Katie Kirk's interviewing Ina Garten and 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 she's doing some, ra you know, Katie's amazing. I mean, she's amazing. I mean, it was so great. But she's asking Ina a question and Ina's everything you want her to be. And she asks Ina, what's your favorite fast food or junk food? Ooh. And... Very rarely do you see Katie Kirk being like, it was a dud question because Ina was like, I don't eat junk food. You know, it was so wild. It was so great, though. It was, it was I, I wouldn't either. I mean, and to be quite frank, the luckiest person on the face of the earth is Ina's husband. Jeffrey. Jeffrey. That's right. That's right. Well, all right. Well, we're going to go to our husbands for Thanksgiving and families. And we want to wish all of you a great holiday. We want to wish happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Christina Loringer, our great editor and producer. We we thank her for always for adding uh, the Vote Her podcast into her schedule. She does great work. She's in high demand. Kids, if you want to get in the media business, be a podcast editor. <laughs> because there are a lot of jobs available there. Jen is running for AG. Don't forget. Well, when can we start giving you money again? Not till next year. Uh, no, next week. 
Oh. <laughs> Actually, when this podcast drops, okay, if you're great. just filling in the uh, the holiday spirit, Jen4GA.com. All right. Give the gift of supporting the next attorney general of Georgia. That's right. Okay. We'll talk to you next time.